everyone, I'm Ann Ryan, and welcome to Dream House, the real story of my father, Jack Ryan, the father of Barbie. Today I'm speaking with my son, Eric Levine, and we're super excited to announce that in January 2024, House of Barbie, a 90-minute documentary about the real story behind Barbie's creation by my father, will be released by Two Rivers Media. My recent trip to Los Angeles for filming was overwhelming on many levels, and I'm so grateful to have this opportunity to share it with you today. You just got back from a trip. I did. For some reason, the British, they love this story. For some bizarre reason, they're obsessed with this story. And so they approached you and basically asked, said that they were making a documentary um, and that they had listened to your podcast, that they realized that you are the central figure in this story as somebody who's telling the story, but you're also the nexus point between all the other people who knew Jack and who were at the house. And you're sort of the vortex <laughs> figure drawing everything right. together. And they identified that uh, in you. And so they really, really wanted to work uh, uh, with you. And so they just flew you out to LA. It's a 90 minute documentary by a company called Two Rivers Media based in Scotland. It's called House of Barbie, and it's the real origin story of the Barbie doll, which was invented by my father, Jack Bryan. As you know, for the past few years, I've been working on a book, podcast, everything I can do to get the real story out. So I've been approached by a lot of people, but I had to very carefully vet which group I felt would best represent the true story. And so after a lot of soul searching, I decided to go ahead with this company. It's sort of a surreal experience. I had a lot of trepidation, I think, because I had been holding on to this so tightly. It's like I wanted to get all the information out there, but I was afraid of more false information going out as has been happening since the Barbie movie came out. So the Barbie movie was great for me because it 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 raised this issue up into you know public view, but at the same time there are there's so much of this false narrative about Ruth Handler, the co-founder of Mattel who claimed after my father died that she was the inventor of Barbie. And I just didn't want to do anything that perpetuated any more of that nonsense. So yes, they flew me out to LA and um, the first part of the shoot was at Annie Constantinesco's house. They had already interviewed her as being a longtime friend of my dad, but um, then they wanted to film the two of us together, um, having breakfast and going through this massive pile of photographs I had brought with me. And that went very well. And then the crew and I went to a location in Beverly Hills that they had rented a, a home where they wanted to do my individual interview, which was kind of funny. Um, I saw some of the pictures. It looked very, is gaudy? Is that the wrong word? 
gaudy <laughs> a little bit yeah. yes a little rococo yeah a lot of gold yeah yeah a lot of gold a lot of gold a lot of marble um and um but it 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 was great i mean they interviewed me for what seemed like hours but at the same time it seemed to have gone by in a nanosecond um the director eddie and the producer mia were incredibly sensitive caring they knew i wasn't afraid of talking about sensitive issues things like my father's mental health issues um his suicide they weren't dealing with it in a sensationalized or salacious way at all they really wanted to hear the whole story, which is exactly what I wanted to do. And I felt as if the interview flowed very well. I felt comfortable being interviewed, talking about things. Why is this production company convinced in telling your version of the story? You know, you type into ChatGPT and ask who invented the Barbie. And it says Ruth Handler, and it was based on Bill Lilly and all this stuff. ChatGPT is just using the preponderance of information. So the preponderance of Barbie narratives, according to the one of the most objective, like social tools we have, which is ChatGPT, according to that, the correct answer quote unquote which means it's it's based on the preponderance of information that's on the internet says current version that mattel tells now about uh ruth handler being the inventor so why is this production company interested in going against the grain and how are they convinced that your version of the story is accurate i think it's because of the podcast, the people I've interviewed, the articles Jerry Oppenheimer has done. And that was subsequent to the book he published in 2009 called Toy Monster, The Big Bad World of Mattel. That was the first time since my father died in 1991 that somebody wrote what was the actual true story. And as I mentioned earlier, my father died in 1991. And then in 1994, when Ruth Handler published Dream Doll, she started claiming that she was um, the inventor of Barbie with absolutely no evidence whatsoever. So this entire false narrative is just based on Ruth's claim without any evidence at all. What public evidence is there of anyone other than you and Jerry Oppenheimer telling your this version of the story, your version of the story from 1994 to 2020? Um, I think there were a couple of articles. There was one in Popular Mechanics. <clears throat> but the thing is, is that the entire time that my father was alive and working for Mattel, he got a tremendous amount of coverage in the press and every single article credited him with being the inventor of Barbie. So the evidence that we have is that, well, number one, he has all the patents, which is pretty compelling evidence. And number two, that it was always reported that he was the inventor of Barbie. Now, 
if in fact Ruth was, don't you think she would have said something during that period, the 20 years he was at Mattel? She wasn't exactly a shy person. And she understood the press. So she was hyper, hyper, hyper aware and yet said nothing. To finally have a production company that did their homework and realized that this was the true story and was willing to want to make a documentary about it has been enormously gratifying. And it's, it's definitely a step in the right direction of getting my father the credit that he is due. Yeah, you have a mission, which is uh, it's that rare thing about when you read about incredible founders or incredible directors throughout history, that people have a, a mission. And it's fascinating that, I mean, you just laid it out right there. You just said it. And it's so true. And I think that people see that you have a mission and see that there is this uh, fascination that we have with justice, or actually maybe a fascination with injustice, is we will complain when there is a massive injustice and people see that clearly now. It's the first step towards getting my father the credit he deserves. What that's going to look like, I don't know. But filming this documentary was such an extraordinary experience. It was as if I had been shouting in the wind for all of this time, but nobody could hear me. And now the wind has died down and that there are people out there willing to listen that want to know the real story. So after we finished the interview at this house in Beverly Hills, then we got in the car and we drove along Sunset Boulevard past all of the old haunts and they were filming the whole time we were driving. And then we drove through the East Gate of Bel Air, up Bel Air Road to Neems Road. We stopped and parked in front of what used to be the castle, which was torn down after he sold it. Then there was some sort of a monstrosity built there. And it wasn't occupied for a long time. They had pulled a filming permit and there was a police detail there and they were expecting us to arrive, not with a tiny crew, but with trailers and trucks and all of this stuff, which was kind of funny. But I stood in front of the front gates and they filmed me. And just inside the front gate in a guard shack, was a guard and you know I said hello to the guy and I tried to I explained to him what we were doing I tried to ask him some questions but you could tell he had signed some sort of NDA because he wasn't giving up anything but for the next few minutes <laughs> they asked me questions uh, you know about what it was like living at the house and things that went on there and where the tree house had been and screaming through Bel Air on the fire engine and... Did you feel anything when you were standing there? I, I remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, we went there in 2014. You took me there. And that was the first time I had seen Neems Road up there and we drove around. Had you been there since then, but 
more importantly, like, did you feel anything standing there? From the outside, it, it looks the same. You know, the gate's the same. The stone wall is the same. And Really? Yeah. Still to and, say, the gate and the wall. That's interesting. Yeah, and you can't really see anything much past that. It felt familiar. I felt everything I had to say was flowing. It was easy. I guess I was just so relieved. And then eventually they took me back up to Annie's house where I was staying. I was so full of adrenaline. I It was like I, I couldn't calm down. And then a strange thing happened overnight. In the middle of the night, I woke up and I had this searing abdominal pain and um, I just did not feel well at all. It ended up in the morning with Annie taking me to the UCLA ER. So I spent the next few hours there and they checked me out and did tests and couldn't find anything of an emergency nature, but it's highly likely that it was a combination of stress and maybe something I had eaten. It was my body just reacting to everything going on in my head and my heart. And um, I remember when she was driving me there, at one point in the car, I just burst into tears. And as you know, Eric, I'm not much of a crier. I, I just never have been. No. And all of a sudden, I just felt this incredible sadness about my dad and how much I actually missed him, which was something I hadn't, I hadn't really been processing all this time since 1991 and how sad I felt about the way his life ended and just kind of the injustice of it all. And I'm so happy that I'm able to do what I'm doing right now to help establish and preserve his legacy. I don't know whether it's because this has been going on for so long and, you know, I probably haven't processed everything, but it was just this moment where the heaviness of it all just kind of hit me. And I actually had a physical reaction to it. So I can say overall that the experience of going to LA to shoot this was fantastic and i think that my physical and emotional reaction to it illustrates how important it was for me to be doing this apart from what anybody else ever sees or does with it or whatever that it it, it was the first time i had really processed everything that had happened. I actually came back to Cape Cod a few days later than I had planned because 
I just didn't feel well enough to get on a plane and fly back here. And I got back here on Wednesday night. Today is Friday. And I'm exhausted. I am absolutely exhausted. It was all I could do to go out and get some groceries, unpack, do my laundry. But all I feel like doing is getting in bed and sleeping. Wow. That's heavy. What I kept thinking the second that you said that night, like you're like, that, and then that night, and my brain, I already knew what you were going to say. I didn't know you were going to say it like that. And obviously I didn't know you were going to go to the ER and all that. But like the second you said that, I was like, oh, like that's a purge. Like you face the ultimate resistance figuratively and literally. You're literally facing it by going back to the house and literally like going through, driving through LA, going, you know, going to LAX, driving on sunset. You're literally physically facing it, but you're also figuratively facing the, the, the demons, like whatever it is, the past, whatever it is, you face it, it doesn't kill you. Then you're sort of afterwards, you're, you're reeling and then the purge happens but did it feel like a purge or did it feel like you just had a, a visceral reaction it did feel like a purge because i actually did throw up for several hours okay it's like ayahuasca <laughs> that was your this was your medicine man ceremony I was actually going there that's uh yeah it was it was heavy and it was a purge and i am I'm very grateful for all of this. I think everything lined up the way it it did because it was the way it was supposed to. And that this experience was not something to be taken lightly. I have a lot of feelings surrounding my, my dad, good feelings, bad feelings, sadness, anger, love, and it just, it's like it got thrown in the blender <laughs> and whizzed up and I drank it. And like you said, it, it didn't kill me. I've taken a step forward in my own life, having gone through this. Wow. And I'm not finished processing it. And, and I can, I can feel that too. And I can also feel that with the exhaustion that I feel. A couple of hours ago, Susan Thacker, whom I know because she worked at the castle and we were also roommates, the production crew drove up to Rhinebeck, New York to interview her this morning. And she told me that they arrived at eight o'clock and she had set her alarm for 5.30 and all of a sudden she woke up and looked at the clock and it was eight o'clock and they were there and she was in bed <laughs> she had actually slept through the alarm which she said is like one of the worst things that she could possibly imagine she said that they were incredibly gracious about it and that the interview went really really well but the funny thing is, is that even though I knew they were going 
there to do that today. I've lost track of what day it is. <laughs> so when she called me, I thought, oh, isn't this nice? She's calling me today, not remembering that they were going to interview her today. But she said it went really, really well and that she really loved working with them. Little by little, all of these building blocks are being added on to the foundation of this project. And I'm so thrilled so far with the way this is going. Oh, and they also told her that that they are hoping that she and I will come to London for the premiere of this. And I'll tell you, I wouldn't miss that for anything. And when is the premiere? Well, it's supposed to be released on January 19th. So sometime around there. I, I can't imagine what that will be like seeing this, you know, on a big screen. We've come so far, Eric. I thought I knew this story, but the more I learned about stuff, the more I realized I, I knew absolutely nothing. It wasn't until a couple months ago that I actually heard your dad's voice for the first time, or actually saw a video of him. The story is wild. And like anything else, the fictionalized version of the story, it's not as good as the real one. And I'm talking about for the end user. The real, the true story is always the best version because it makes sense because nature made it. Because it serendipity made it. And when we tell that real story, it's gonna click with so many other things too. It's just gonna, it's gonna be amazing. And I'm, I'm incredibly grateful to be any small part of this. One question, you said that this documentary, you see it as the first step towards telling the true version of your father's story. What's the second step? Getting him credit from Mattel. Having Mattel say, you know what? You're right, uh -huh. he did invent Barbie and Hot Wheels and Chatty Cathy. I mean, at this point, they don't give him credit for anything. And yet he is the one that is most responsible for Mattel's success. I'm hoping that this documentary film will go a long way. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing here with the podcast, my book. I think it makes a, a, a more interesting story, especially with the movie having come out, for people to know that actually what they see in that movie is not what actually happened. And that Barbie was invented by my father, who was a pretty interesting guy beyond anything that he did for Mattel. And we can just hope that people will want to know more about it. They will, because, because it's interesting. And I still don't know to this day, I mean, we, we talked to Al Adler about this, which is why Barbie? Is Barbie the best toy? What, what, why was it so popular? I, we, may, we may never know. It's probably a combination of timing and it's just an infinite number of things that come into that. Well, I think that the point that a lot of people don't think about is that it isn't so much about what Barbie looked like 
but really about the way that children play with Barbie and how Barbie plays is directly the result of the innovations in the way that Barbie moves, the twist and turn ways, the bendable knees, all of those things that allow kids to do things with this doll that previously they were unable to. And that's all because of my father's work. And it's a big deal. You know, people love to focus on Barbie's appearance, the the big tits, the tiny waist, but it's really goes way beyond that because I don't think kids are necessarily thinking so much about what Barbie looks like when they're playing with her. It's more about what can Barbie do? And Barbie can do almost anything. I think that Mattel is going to end up being a great ally in this because I believe that deep down that they care about making money like any company, like anybody, but that they also believe in this idea of unlocking imagination. And so I think that the arc of this story is gonna be positive. I don't think it's gonna be a straight line, but history bends towards justice, is that the quote? Which is that over a long enough period of time, the truth comes out. This is, uh, it's pretty exciting. It is exciting. And I have a good feeling about it. So we're just gonna keep banging this drum. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed the podcast. We have lots of exciting episodes coming up, including more about life at the castle, the Mattel lawsuit, and what it was like for me having Jaja Gabor as my stepmother. Please like, share, and subscribe. You won't want to miss a single episode.